but most people are going to be listening, like drive around in their cars or whatever anyways. So they don't really care. Uh, that's probably a good thing to start off with. I've already started recording. <laughs> um, okay, Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis. Welcome to episode 13. I am sitting with... Peter Conwell. Peter Conwell, fellow Australian. Um, okay, Peter, you've already listened to one or a few of my interviews or d- dipped into them, as you said, so you are aware how I start my conversations. Um, <clears throat> I think I feel I need, I want. Um, yeah, I, uh, I know you asked the other guys that, but I haven't yeah. really given it much thought. Uh, well, right in this moment, you don't have to give it much thought beforehand. Right in this moment, I um, think. I, uh... Uh, I think this uh, podcast is a cool idea. Cool. That's good. <laughs> good start. Good start for me. Um, I'm feeling uh, pretty good today. Nice. Uh, what's I want? I, I need. I need uh, to uh, have some breakfast because it's been uh, a bit... Um, I didn't have any breakfast today. That's a shame. It's and, only 12.30. Uh, we'll go get some food into you. And uh, I want. I want, yeah. Uh, uh, lots of ums and ahs there. For That's you, all right. I think. It's a hard, they're harder questions to answer than we think, or than we would anticipate. I I, I want to get back to work and onto, you know, good, bigger and greater things. Nice. Well, hopefully this conversation will inspire you, stimulate some. Uh, some ideas. So just before we started this conversation, guys, I watched, or Peter and I both watched um, his short film, Ward 13, which he made back in 2006, 2007? 2003. 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, you made that in Australia. Yeah. Okay. And then that brought you over to the US. Yeah. How was... often How often do you revisit your work or like watch it again? Was that the first time oh, you've watched, watched it in a while? I have watched it for quite a while. Uh, but... It's been on my mind because I've been developing the feature version of it. So. Ah, sweet. Okay, well, you already preempted my next question um, because I was going to ask you uh, exactly yeah, what you're working on at the moment and whether you're allowed to talk about it. Um, well, that one that one's a pretty early stage, so I'm, I can't talk about it too much. Hand, but I've got, um, I've got uh, yeah, interested producers and stuff. So okay. I haven't made any announcements or anything, but... Uh, I'm really pumped about it. Sweet. uh, I originally got into animation because I wanted to be able to make like a big action blockbuster for no money by myself. Okay. (laughs) And it's really hard. You like working by yourself? Well, it's just just really hard to get uh, a cast and crew together to do short films uh, that have big production values. Uh Uh-huh. You know, you get them together for one weekend and then a couple of weekends and after a few weekends they start um, getting wary, getting antsy and yeah. and you're going to end up doing some sort of low budget indie kind of thing mm-hmm. and my ambitions were to do some big action stuff so I did work experience at this place that had uh, a bunch of Cinefix magazines lying around with interviews with Ray Harryhausen and, and whatnot and he was sort of laughing at... Who's he? He's the one of the grandfathers of stop motion, motion. animation. Okay. Like he did Jason and the Argonauts and Seven okay. Voyage of Sinbad and Mysterious Island and okay. uh, all these uh, classics in the world of stop motion that have been an inspiration to you know the generation of effects guys. Mm. 
and uh, him along with uh, Willis O'Brien that did King Kong and like the two sort of titans in stop motion. Okay. And uh, yeah, when he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, um, you know, Spielberg was a big fan of his and yeah. Ray Bradbury was best friends with and stuff. And he was, he was one of my heroes. But he was saying how he used to make films where he was the only effects guy and he was looking at films uh, that now have, you know, potentially thousands of people mm. working on them. And I wasn't into the idea of doing stop motion, blending it with live action like he did, but if you created a whole world in stop motion, then you can do anything. And So reading that interview was this the trigger point. You remember reading it and being like, this is how I'm going to make a, or bring a project I, I love to life. Yeah, and I, I thought... You, know, you can build your own little sets, and yeah. to me, there's so a real charm about stop motion, right? And to yeah. me, there's a real charm about stop motion as well. Just the yeah. fact that things are in miniature, uh, and there's also like I like the fact that there's no dialogue too. So when Peter, I was setting up, uh, watching it, um, connecting it from my computer to the to the big screen, um, I was sort of like moving around the computer, and he said, which I found very refreshing, you know every time you turn around, you miss a day's work. And that was really good because I, like, I get pretty frazzled sometimes and I'm sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah what am I doing? Um, and I've got a pretty bad attention span as a lot of our current generation does. I think it's been limited to like eight seconds or something now, um, which would literally be like a week's work then in stop motion world. So where do you get that ability from to be able to voice? Because um, from, the, from the wrong person, that could have been construed i think if an an american had said that to me i would have been like a little bit put off by it but i think and it's it's an australian candor to be able to sort of be like dude watch my movie like that is you you are literally missing what is a day's worth in in stop motion well i think when you're doing animation every because it is so time intensive you have every shot has to fight its way into the movie so there's no if you could save a day's work by doing it not putting in a shot that's necessary, then, yeah. then you don't put it in, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, but your confidence to sort of demand that respect of an audience and to be able to say what you said to me before. Does that make <laughs> sense? Like, well, I'd want to think if someone was showing me their stuff, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd you know, yeah. watch it. Yeah, of course. Um, but um, But particularly in animation where, you know, if I'm watching someone's animated thing, you know yeah. that they. they put well, so what, much what's really interesting is going to animated film festivals. Like when Wood Thirteen came out, I went to a bunch of film festivals um, around the world, and uh, like I hate the films, they all had a lot of passion in them. Yeah, and people were really that, that generates begets respect for sure. Well, it's just it's just so labor intensive. If people aren't super passionate about their short films, they never get finished. Mm-hmm. And I think for every short film, animated short film that gets finished, there's probably a hundred that get started. You know, have you yourself done unfinished films? No, but uh, what the thing took quite a while. How and, long did it take to make? It took yeah, a number of years. Wow. And it's. Uh, something that you're thinking oh am i ever gonna it just felt like an impossible dream to actually yeah. get it finished because it was so much labor uh what were you particularly doing? given i was doing it by myself okay and were you working in the film industry uh, alongside like the production of that i had a day job as a sound recordist working at abc tv okay. in yeah. australia I like the, the equivalent of the bbc uh, the government station and uh which was 
really awesome. It's it's pretty much the best job you can have as an entry level job. Because Why is that? You just get to go wherever the most interest. Well, I started on the news, and you get to go whatever the wherever the most interesting stuff of the day is. So you know you might be interviewing a pop star or a movie star one yeah. day, the next day you're flying around in the helicopter yeah. covering bushfires. And there were a lot of boring days waiting outside court for some criminal yeah. to come out. But even that's for kind of fun. 10 seconds of, right, yeah. this is the anticipation. Right, yeah. And and and, and you'd, you'd uh, hang out with your friends on the weekend, you start yeah. talking about current events. Sure, sure. And you say, well, I was actually at that press conference yeah. and here's what actually went down. That's you amazing. Know. So do you think that that... Um, it's come up before in interviews with creatives for where they get their ideas from combination of like making stuff, what they're just simply what they're interested in or writing about what they're interested in. Um, there's a common recommendation to write about what you know. Um, for you, do you attribute many of the stories that you've told to those ex that experience in that day job? Cause that's a pretty unique experience. Like you, you were informed about the workings of so many different things being well, involved I, in news production. I think what you get, to do is see real people at their most extreme mm -hmm. and you get to interview people that have just amazing incredible stories and mm. not just on TV you know you're setting up and talking to them yeah you're in, in the there. meantime yeah and uh, I mean I probably wouldn't interact a lot of times with the people the journalists would but you get to know these people and you're talking to people that have I, I don't know one time we interviewed someone who they were on one of these ships that nearly sank that sank mm -hmm. and you got to hear their all their experience, and you get to interview, you know, high achievers and blah blah blah. And so, I think when you're working with real actors and you're interviewing people, like you don't normally talk to someone that whose daughter got murdered mm. in real life. Mm. But when you've done that, and then you're directing actors that are doing similarly intense scenes, I right. think it helps to actually have, have seen the real thing. Sure, you know? sure. And just you get a. You just see a broad spectrum of human nature, yeah. I think, and you get to just see, you know, different things in the world, and it opens you you up to the possibilities of what can happen. So, you did know? you study directing or acting or anything like that before I, or after War Thirteen? I then you went into live action features. I did a a class that was acting for animation, and I did um, Richard Williams' uh, three day animation course, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. He wrote this great book. Um, called uh, The Animator's Survival Kit. Before that, the best book on animation, I think, is The Illusion of Life by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. They're two of the nine old men of Disney. Okay. And they were outlining the ten principles of animation and, and stuff. And so there's the animation side of it. But to me, there's, uh, there's four parts to animation. There's how smooth you make the animation. So it can either be smooth or rough. And there's an argument for making it rough and less realistic if you kind of want to distance yourself from the characters like mm. in South Park when Kenny gets killed I think it's funnier that the fact that it's sort of rough animation yeah if it was really you know if it was a real little boy it wouldn't be so sure so funny yeah so that's medium changing the impact on the audience right yeah. and I think you know when you robot chicken they can do rough animation it can be funnier than it would have yeah. been if it was really glossy yeah uh, and then there's uh, getting the weight right, like an elephant moves differently to a butterfly, right? Uh -huh. It sort of accelerates more slowly. And then things might, the weight might look right, but it might still not have the real beauty about it. So the next level is to make the anim the movement so you don't just see it, you kind of feel it mm -hmm. like a great piece of dance. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you kind of feel it. But when you see a big hit on screen, you, you don't want to just see it, you want to feel it. And then the next level is performance. Mm-hmm. And I uh, studied a lot of, well, I was looking at the shots I wanted the movie and looking at similar movies that have similar performances. And you can you this just is copy it. Yeah, you yeah. can just copy it frame by frame when you're doing animation. Right. And I stole little gestures and stuff from other movies and you've got unlimited casting and animation right yeah (laughs) and uh which is one of the the disappointments i guess in a way of motion capture is that you've got this impossible unlimited casting and then suddenly oh it's doing all the mannerisms of that particular actor yeah Mm -hmm. i think that there's uh an entire world of uh performance that um can free you up uh you know in animation so when you're directing um real people um, or real life actors for something like haunting. Uh, how how did your skills differ? How did they, or how did you find that was there challenges in communicating that? Given that you hadn't done worked as an actor yourself right. because you didn't um, did you direct theatre before, or was it you were more? Afraid? Well, given I knew very little about live action acting. Mm-hmm. I, I did a bunch of acting classes. I made it my business to okay. do acting. And, and, I sat, basically. And, I, and I sat that was in before, on a, That was after you got the job? That was before, yeah. It was okay. before, after I, when I first came to Hollywood or before okay. I came over, I was doing acting stuff. I was okay, doing, cool. doing Meisner oh, acting yeah. and stuff, okay, which cool. I really like. That's what Mark, my previous guest from last week's episode, uh-huh. he also studied for a few years. Right. Um, okay. So, and did you, did that stuff, how did that inform your experience working with someone like Virginia Madsen? Well, I think it really helps to know the language of acting Mm. and to be able to just talk about it and realize that you can't just tell people result-oriented directing. Yeah, that's, yeah. You you kind of... Which is so common in television. Right. Yeah. But, But someone like Virginia is such a veteran, they kind of have their own ideas anyway. You're not really gonna, um... Uh, you know, you're never going to sort of micromanage their performance, even if you wanted to, which I don't want to. You, you, yeah. you, you, you want to see what they ultimate, can bring to the table. Ultimately, it has to feel real for them, so they have to find their own way to okay. do it anyway. So uh, no matter what you want, you know, if, if you look at it, <laughs> what's interesting is with animation, you've got all day to think about the shot. Mm-hmm. So I'll think about it. You've got to see it in your head exactly how you want it before you animate it, and then you animate it, and then hopefully it turns out... Mm-hmm how you're hoping the hardest thing to get right is the timing. Because mm-hmm. uh, once you put a frame in, you can't go back and undo it in stop motion like you can in computer animation. Mm-hmm. But in live action, you might have a really clear idea of what you want and then the actor does their thing and it's different. So do you go, oh, okay, so it's different to what I wanted. Do I try and manipulate it to make it like how I want it? Or maybe it's actually better that way. You know, Maybe that's... You know, how do you inspirational. maybe it's equally valid yeah and then you only really have a few seconds before before you need to everyone's wrap looking up at the you shot and, it's like can you go for another take yeah, or, yeah. so what in those situations did you ever be i think it's it's quicker to just go for another take and think about it okay while you're thinking about it than to uh to immediately try and you know roll go back the tape and look at it or something okay but uh i i generally think but you've talked to the actors and you're on the same page by that stage anyway. Yeah. So it shouldn't, you know, there shouldn't it's, be. It's not going to conflict yeah. too much. And uh, I think if you, yeah, you just, you want to, as long as 
the spine of the character is there and the stakes feel real and you feel mm-hmm. the relationship it feels right and, you know, it looks like they're listening. I think that's one thing. Okay. And what does the spine of the character mean to you? Well, you got you as the director, you're you're doing the through line of the whole story. Yeah, and I think quite often the actors can come in and because you're probably shooting it out of order. Yeah, they, right. They maybe don't have the A same full appreciation. The, the same right, order. the same picture of the overall, um, where it is in the movie and where you're intercutting it with the previous scene and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're gonna, you know, they've they've done their homework, but you just want to make sure that as the director, you don't let them go off the rails like that and uh, you uh, want them to trust you you know it's building a level of trust so that they'll feel safe and not uh, judged yeah and trying something different you know stepping outside the lines like they can come in and do a really safe performance is probably going to be more bland or they can try (laughs) pushing it a bit but if they're going to push it they want to be able to trust you that you're not going to put if they go too far, you're not going to put something ridiculous in, in the, your in, in the, the audition movie, you know? in, your, in the audition process uh, for that film or for one of your other projects. Have you had actors come in and just do something completely weird that freaks you out? Not, not really, but like the, you uh, can tell, really. Some, sometimes I, I like to get them to do it like three times. They'll okay. come in with they'll come in with their Offer. idea, yep. and then I'll I'll give them um, a note, a note, and then. Um, you give them one a go to try and adjust, and yeah. then you do an, another one where you know they. And I think once they, I think it's hard as an actor in an audition to really commit to one particular choice yeah. because it'd be a real shame to miss out on the part just because I could have played it the way you exactly yeah. wanted, but I yeah. made this choice. So I think people come in and do a more um, neutral kind of choice. They tend to, I think, and then it makes it too safe and a little boring, right? And then once. They're, they've got some. They know that you want to go in a certain direction. Then they can sort of let go and push it a bit harder in that direction. And so sometimes, prefer... and sometimes that's that comes out. Well, it's a it's a funny thing because, uh, but also with acting, they could be the best actor in the world. But if they're slightly the wrong sort of character type, yeah, uh, you like to look at those people because maybe you're wrong. Them. It could be off the the wall. Like some of the, yeah. some of the um, most interesting casting choices were people that originally were never thought of for the part, mm. you know. And uh, and I like the idea of casting against type, but in reality, casting against type is not... Always possible. Yeah. And so a lot of times it doesn't really matter how good their performance is mm. if they're slightly the wrong type for the part. What's... Um, well, I mean, that's not really true. I mean, if, they, if the essence of the character, they could probably work just as well, but... I don't know. There's so many factors that go into and casting. other opinions of other people involved in the film. Yeah, and who are they going to be with playing opposite in the scene yeah. and stuff? Yeah. You know, the ages, if they're in a relationship, are the ages yeah. realistic and things like that? What is good listening to you? Well, I think you can, you can, when, when you've trained as an actor, not that I'm saying I'm a great actor or anything, but I think you can, you can learn this without, before actually getting, that you don't have to be brilliant yourself to be able to see when an act, someone's actually listening and they're reacting in the moment uh-huh. and you can see when they're in the scene. And this is one of the, the things that's tricky when you're doing an audition because the reader is not necessarily an actor. Yeah. So sometimes they have to kind of 
almost shut out the reader and not listen because mm. the guy's just saying they can't the be too lines. affected by a bad reader, right? Yeah, because yeah, you listen or by to a robot or something, right? Like I saw Emma Thompson being uh, interviewed when she did uh, Remains of the Day, and she's and saying, "How much of your performance do you get from Anthony Hopkins?" And she mm. said, oh, "I get the whole performance from yeah. Anthony Hopkins." Yeah, are you kidding? Yeah. So imagine if she comes in and does and uh, uh, is with a reader who's just somebody duh, 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 duh. Yeah. a production assistant yeah reciting the lines you can't tell she's if she's listening to that person yeah maybe if she takes it on board maybe she's, she'll have a terrible performance mm. and so i think that uh that's something to keep in mind because you in audition you're you're only getting part of the have you been in a situation before where the camera was on an actor and you could tell maybe that the performance was suffering because of the relationship with the listening and you gave a direction to the person off camera? Uh, well, with kids, I think, uh, when, or kids auditions. You have to I've do had, that, I had yeah. a reader and there was one of them, you know, the, the reader was just reciting the line and the, the yeah. kid comes back like this and then yeah. the next time it was much more conspiratorial and then the right. kid was like... They they dive in. Yeah. Yeah, kids are amazing much like that. Creepier, they don't, know, they just respond to what's in front of them. Well, I think a lot of times kids, they haven't learned the inhibitions that we have. And mm. So they're already in that imaginative world. Which is great. That's why sometimes kids can give the best performances. Right, yeah. And Jodie Foster was talking about this, in that she she was kind of a natural kid actor. And mm. then when she reached a certain age, she thought she was going to give it up because she thought it was kind of stupid. And then, right. and then she when she was doing Taxi Driver, um, Robert De Niro did some like acting exercises with her and suddenly she realized, oh man, there's something to it. depth to it. Yeah, know? right. And she said later in life, she actually thought, oh, I better do some training mm. on this whole acting thing. And then mm. she realized she actually knew she'd figured out the, the key stuff. Right. Uh, anyway, but, uh, but it is interesting that so many of the best actors actually had great coaches like yeah. Robert De Niro and yeah, Pacino. They have like these really famous acting coaches. And I think and that the inhibitions that you just mentioned that people develop as they become adults, it's even more burdensome for celebrities too. So have you ever experienced or known or worked or whatever with someone that you could sense that they've had to, they have to fight against uh, pretense or something because they have a profile? Or their the set or whatever has an expectation around them, and they they, they come I, with a bit of baggage. I, I, mean, I haven't made enough movies to right. <laughs> really bad. Uh, I I just think when it comes down to it, people set all that stuff aside and just do the work. Yeah, and okay. it, it's about the work. Yeah, if you're a serious professional, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think these people, there's people now that are getting cast because of the number of Twitter followers, mm. and I think they're actually realizing that Twitter it's not going to work. Well, Twitter actually isn't. Uh, necessarily that great a thing for publicity yeah. either. Yeah. And also I think that... It doesn't translate to box office. Well, I remember when Basic Instinct 2, for example, was the number one trending movie on IMDb mm. and it was there for some weeks Yeah, and, and nobody saw the film. It yeah. just meant everyone knew that it was crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... So it's great publicity, yeah. but... You know. It's fun. why do you think people haven't figured that out? Because that was that movie came out before social media, like ten years ago or something. So right. yeah, why do you think people can't figure that out? They can't see that it tr- doesn't necessarily translate 
Instagram following doesn't translate to box office. Right, and they might tweet that, ah, oh, you know, they the know that, they know someone says is going to be in the movie, maybe we should go and see it, but then by 7 o'clock Friday night, they've been tweeting, the same tweeters, mm. the people that are going to respond to the tweet, they're kind of people that are going to be tweeting to their friends on yeah. the quality of what they think of the movie. Yeah, so if, yeah. it's not a, if it's not a good it still movie, needs to hold up. a lot of people are going to, uh, they've seen this happen. There's a big 7 o'clock and a crap 10 o'clock. And yeah. Everyone's tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So there's there's good things that come with it, but the but you know it's, I don't think it's cut and dry. There's um, oh uh, as a sound yeah, as a sound recorder, former sound recorders, Peter's they're, they're obviously got me. <laughs> concerns about the sirens. We're in Los Angeles, so that happens quite a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a complicated thing. I think that um, people will figure out ways to make social media help leverage their products. But to me, the main thing that seems to differentiate successful projects versus unsuccessful ones is inspiration. I mean, mm. if people are really inspired to make something, it could mm. be a sequel or a remake. Mm. If some, if people are really passionate about it, mm. then there's a good chance it's going to be watchable. Which is why generally, like, um, like I can imagine, I can't think of off the top of my head, but the um, directors of comic book movies, or the good ones at least, they they were, they were probably huge comic book fans themselves. Right, yeah. Like um, yeah. Kevin Feige, I think he really loves... The Marvel Universe, right? And he came up with the really bold idea of having the separate characters each in their own movie, then right. join them together for the Avengers. And okay. I thought it was really brave of them to do Captain America back in World War Two. Mm. Like, yeah, it must have been totally different to the others, right? And, and it's not what most people would think of as Captain America. So, mm. you, it, without that sort of passion and vision, I think. Uh, a lesser producer probably would have gone. Oh, that's a bit risky. Let's yeah. Let's set it modern day and just have flashbacks. Let's do the World War Two parts. So that's almost yeah. that's like a pure creative passion for something. So for you, have you been in experience on project where you're, or just in between gigs or whatever, where? So I can imagine the way that you were speaking about what the team before there was there was a genuine passion for that, and it was a self totally self generated project. But were there times at all where you were just like, I'm just so far deep into this that I just have to get it made for the sake of getting it made? And did that, well, what, like, does what, it waver what, for you at all? Well, then every time I got, I was shot on film, on mm -hmm. 16 millimeter Bolex clockwork wind-up camera. Okay. And so I'd be clicking away on the camera and be terrified that you hadn't laced up the camera yeah. properly or the footage wasn't going to come out and yeah. you'd have to go through this agony of right. shooting it all over again. Luckily, that never happened. But... Uh, every time I got a shot back, I just felt more inspired. And I thought, well, if I did that shot, then these other shots are going to, I could do these other shots. And I kept thinking, oh, each shot, this is going to be easier than the last bit. And then there was always a harder bit. And how did that out. compare to your experience on live action films? Well, it's completely different. One of them's, you, you're, you know, just came from my own. It's like writing. People go, oh, you, you must need a lot of patience to do animation. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's like writing a script. You know, mm. at the start of the day, you're not going to shoot that much okay and like when you're writing you know you're only going to shoot you know well, write a certain number of pages a day but when you're doing an animation the footage you get back that's the movie you, you don't have to then Edit it. take that to producers and make oh, it into a movie it. like you right. do when you write a script okay <laughs> so uh that was um that i found that really rewarding but it was incredibly solitary and I love in live action of the collaboration and I like how you know people blink all by themselves. It doesn't, doesn't take 
like 15 minutes to do a blink when you do the animation. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I love that the actors bring their own inspiration to it. Yeah. And I love the collaboration. Right, okay. So do you have any live action stuff that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I've got uh, a film that's coming together right now. It's just a fairly low budget one, but it yeah. looks like it's... Um, uh, Is it horror again? It's a supernatural thriller. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's horror slash supernatural thriller. Right. And then I've got another one that looks like it's coming together later in the year, but uh, in the world of filmmaking, you never... You never really I, know. I don't like to be too... Um, if we I had a wooden table things, right now, a would... glass table, <laughs> we could touch wood. Um, but yeah, you don't have to talk about that at all. I, I, I know, yeah. I mean, I don't like to talk about things too early. Yeah, but, of course. But, uh, but I'm feeling really good about these different That's things. Awesome. And then there's other things brewing as well. Why why supernatural horror stuff? Why does that well, is that because I, you were recognized for it initially with War Thirteen and that's what's offered to you or that that's what comes your way? Or you as a filmmaker that's that facilitates your what you want to put out there and say to the world? Well, I like horror stuff because you can like Haunting in Connecticut mm. had a whole bunch of scenes that really had no dialogue. You get mm. to tell the story with okay. the camera and you right. get to like Which is build aligned create, with your interest of yeah, the so visual much. storytelling, whereas drama, it's more Dialogue. just the tennis match of, yep. you know, heads yep. back and forth. And yep. I also just think uh, drama on TV is so good now. There's mm. very few dramas actually even being made or succeeding As in, films. The, in the cinema. And yeah. I think uh, the world of cinema has changed so much recently because of streaming. Mm. Like uh, you used to be able to say you could make the same money on DVD that you made in the cinema. Mm. And... Now it's much Doesn't. less. The streaming is just a fraction yeah. of that, and so it just it it just means a very different type of film is getting made. Like mm -hmm. um, I met uh, Penny Marshall, and uh, mm. she was just saying her nobody makes her kind of movies anymore. Right, all, all the films she used to make. She directed know, like when Harry met Sally. And no, she did. Uh, that was that was Rob Reiner, who yeah, she sorry. was married to. That's right. Okay, that's why. Uh, but. She did uh, Big. She was the first female yeah. to do a film that made over 100 million bucks. She wow. did like A League of Their Own, um, mm -hmm. Awakenings. Mm -hmm. So you film like Awakenings where you had big movie stars and it's a drama. Those kind of films don't really get made anymore. Who was in Awakenings? Certainly not by the studio. It had um, Robert De Niro who okay. was nominated for it and wow. um, Robin Williams in his sort of dramatic role that kind of transformed his career into wow. being considered more of a serious actor. Yeah, right. And... Uh, which is interesting because she knew him through her world of comedy. Okay. But, yeah. but those kind of films just don't get made anymore. Like films like um, Jerry Maguire or whatever, a drama, yeah, a studio yeah. drama with movie stars. Yeah. And I guess Moneyball was like a sort of recent example. Even that was like five years ago. Right, but I think uh, it's not always the case, but I think you find mostly those kind of films are independently financed. Okay. And they're not done through the studios anymore. Right. The studios are all about making... Franchises. Yeah, these big... Either low-budget horror films that can punch above their weight in yep. the box office if they if they make one that pops, or these big, you know, special that, effects franchises that translate around the world. Does that commercialistic imperative does that motivate you? Well, because in addition to the visual element that you were saying before for why you're attracted to horror films, does <laughs> the does the money-making aspect in any part? Oh well, you, you want to be able to keep working in the industry, but. Yeah. but those are the kind of films I'm most passionate about anyway. So it just sort of aligns in a way. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to do a, a drama or whatever is the right script if, yeah. it, if it clicked. Um, right. Uh, but uh, the kind of things I come up with, I, I 
grew up just loving action movies and action scenes. And okay. I used to tape every single action scene and sword fight that came on television. And then I'd, I'd watch them frame by frame and really dissect it. So when I was animating my short, it was based on not other animated films like yeah. so many other people do. It was all based on live action reference. And, yeah. And uh, I just really like the beauty of the way different shots come together. And mm -hmm. like... Uh, You're a visual guy, stimulated. So I went to a Q&A with Baz Lohman last night and he sort of talks similarly to you. You can tell that you've got like a, inner, a strong inner child. Like you... You want to be entertained and you want to entertain other people. Do you think that that, are you, are you aware of that? That that's like, just like, you just want to like keep putting cool visual stuff out there and that you just like, it's, it's just a stimulant for you. Well, that's I like think, a motivation for your continuing to work. Well, I think you want to make films that work on a whole bunch of different levels. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it. I think it's a visual medium. It's a missed opportunity if you're not doing something exciting, interesting with the visuals. Yeah. And I also think. I didn't make, people, it didn't mean to make too much of a generalization, but, but, you, but yeah. pe people, People want to experience new, fresh things. And okay. I think they want to make discoveries, you know. And I think that if you can find a new, exciting way of telling a story, it, you know, it gets people um, jazzed. That's why you want to go to the cinema, right? When you, you see sure. a trailer. On a scale of and one it to... gets you out of the, uh, out of the house and yeah. you can the cinema as well. Because I still think... The cinema is the, the best way to watch movies. Yeah, oh, definitely. I would agree with that for sure. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, and so it, it depends. It, I've, I've heard this from some directors before, and actors especially too, musicians. It's like they feel like it's their, their calling or whatever. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like it's your duty that you were born with or whatever to uh, entertain people or whatever your purpose is as, an, as a creative um, how, where would you, you put yourself that it's that, that duty or obligation or active service or whatever? Um, yeah. Where would you put yourself on the scale that it is that strong? Well, does it, and does it vary? Did you ever see, um, Sullivan's travels? The, no. A, a Ernst Lubitsch film about this guy who, he's a director in the great depression. Okay. And he's been making these light comedies mm. and he feels that, that, that he's just kind of empty, oh. crass kind of guy and that uh, you know, he tells his butler, oh, look, I want to make a documentary about you know the homeless guys jumping the boxcars and yeah. blah, blah. So he tries to do that, but the press follows him and everything goes wrong and okay. he gets a girl and blah, blah. But anyway, at the end, when he finally gets to go with the guys, he's, he's pretending to be a homeless guy doing the boxcar thing. Okay. And he finds the only time these guys are happy, they're miserable all the time, is when they uh, get to watch a movie. Those light movies, and, yeah. And they'll all be sitting there watching a comedy yeah. and laughing. And so he comes back and he goes, you know what, here's how I can actually help the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of the classic movies. It's a really good film. What's it called again? That's Sullivan's Travels. Sullivan's Travels, okay. And uh, I feel that it, that's the goal. We make, you know, make something that's entertaining. But I also think... I feel like there's so much uh, people don't really go to church anymore mm. and the best they've got is movies and mm. I think they're being ill-served a lot of the time as far as the lack of themes and deeper layers of movies mm -hmm. and I think that's not to say you want to make films that preach because I think nothing 
turns audiences off more. <laughs> and But I think just about every film actually says something below the surface whether, yeah. you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, because everyone has a subconscious. Right, and I think that uh, there's some really deep self-evident uh, kind of themes you can put in movies. Yeah. That I think, because I feel... Movies are kind of this empathy device. I yep. think you can you can watch a foreign movie. You can and have like something. little homeless kids in India, mm. whatever. Like um, I saw a movie Lion, right? And you, you probably can't. One of my guests. You can't get you can't get much more different than those kids. But yeah. instantly you identify with these yeah. these guys, and you really feel for them, and you realize yeah. makes you realize, oh, people are the same across around the world. Totally. They, they just want to be happy. So when you wake up in the morning, do you? And you've got a creative day planned, or even if you just wake up in the morning, do you feel that um, that's like like a, in the back of your mind? That's what's like motivates you to start work or go to work or start writing or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I think the hardest thing is to actually get people excited. I think that if you want to make a sad movie, you can yeah. get people to cry. Yeah. And not that that's easy, but I think it's easier than actually getting people really excited yeah. because I think that people are so jaded now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it requires a combination of of elements okay. to, to get that together. And I think if you can make a film that's exciting, then you can probably say anything else that you want in the film. Mm. <laughs> people are going to get pumped to see it. Okay. Again, aligning with your interest in horror films because it did, they are exciting and a great... Yeah, it could be a, uh, could be a horror film or, or action stuff. I feel I've got a lot to... Uh, to me, I feel that um, as much as I love action films, I think I think that there's... And I, I, I love the action films that are being made, but I feel that there's some areas that people aren't really covering. Like um, when I saw Mad Max Fury Road, I thought that... Uh, I just thought the action was a more sophisticated level than... It was just so well yeah, crafted. He yeah. spent years storyboarding every yeah, shot. Yeah, and you, could, yeah. you could tell, you know, he could he could give you an argument for everyone. A solid essay, probably on why each shot was mm-hmm. in there. And yeah. I think some some of these other action films, it feels like they've it's a little bit generic. Well, they've just shot it and then they um they've salvaged something yeah, or you know yeah. they've cut it together from what the footage they. It's not had very specific, and, and each and moment isn't very consciously thought out. Right, and even if if they storyboarded it, then maybe it didn't quite work out how they'd hoped, and so they've they've changed things. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes, although you know, really effects heavy ones, not so much. But I think that uh, an action scene is a suspense scene as well, and I think a lot of times the action feels like it's spectacle over story and suspense. Mm. And I think that what was great in Mad Max, and people say, oh, it didn't have any story. I thought it had a lot of story, and I think that, that it didn't have much character development. You, you learn so much about the characters in the action scenes, yeah. which is quite unique. Yeah. You know? Like, you'll have two characters that hate each other, but by the end of the action scene, they're formed an alliance. Yeah, so it serves a purpose. <laughs> Happens a, a few times, actually. Yeah. And uh, uh, and I think that people, it's done, done so well, people don't really notice, but I, I just thought It's done well for a reason, because yeah. there's a lot of other films that, spectacle films that they don't do well right. they or, know what we're talking about before there's big spectacle films that do well but I don't know if people will be watching them in 10 years yeah right you know I think some of the biggest films of the 50s nobody watches today of course not um any morning rituals um or things to sort of light your creative fire that you do uh, I think uh, getting up and having a cup of coffee, but <laughs> <laughs> but 
I try and get up and meditate actually. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And then I'll do some meditation, do and the then I'll do some. Uh, I've got this like seven minute app. If I, I've had periods when I went to the gym and trained, but mm-hmm. lately I've I got this app, and it's like the seven minute. Supposedly, if you do the seven minute workout type thing. Yeah, you do thirty seconds of each exercise, and there's a ten second gap between each one. Oh yeah, one. sort of like uh, it's high intensity interval training. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> Sorry if that was too specific. Oh well, I know. It's yeah. a, and you know, supposedly scientists have determined that you it's, know it's the equivalent of working out for an hour. So it's just a seven-minute workout, but okay. there's a whole bunch of them on, and it ha- it it gives you the the exercise. And okay. It counts down. And it gives you the ten-second break. Okay. And uh, so I find it can be uh, a good way of uh, getting Starting some exercise before I've woken up. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, I think I feel I need. I want. Um, again. Yeah. Right now, our moments, our feelings change on a moment-to-moment basis. So, what do you think and feel and need and want right now? Um, I think uh, I I could get more exercise. Okay, <laughs> completely different to what was before. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I uh, um, I think that yeah, I know. I, I feel in today today's society, people we sit around too much. I think yeah. supposedly you're supposed to stand up all day and okay. stuff. Um, so this one, 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 one executive's office, he had a treadmill built yeah. into his uh, desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he'd been doing phone calls all morning, and he'd walked four four miles. Mm, pretty good <laughs> already. Uh, that would be um, uh, good suggestion. Um, right. You feel? Um, I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Still good before. <laughs> yeah. Need and want. Um, yeah, I don't really think like this, um, need, um, I don't know. Nothing. That's probably, you're probably satisfied. So that's good. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty chill. I, I think that there's two, um, there's two ways of being in life. One of them is, uh, yeah, you try and wrestle and change the world to fit your needs to be happy. Yeah. Or you just learn to sort of let it go and go with the flow and learn just to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like um, you don't want to be too laid back or you never get anything done. You yeah. just be happy doing nothing all yeah. day. Yeah. But I feel like uh, the kind of stress and uh, disappointments you can get in Hollywood and the, with the hustle and stuff, mm. I think it really pays to be kind of zen and and uh you know i think meditation is uh is a good, is a good thing well i also think it actually helps you center be present well it helps you look inside and see what you really really want and what your yep. needs are and then you can put that back into the work and yeah make yep. it about something yeah great um, awesome suggestion like i think with um the i'm, I'm a big fan of Pixar and their story method of making films and one of the things that their films have is there's this moment sort of around the start of act three where like Buzz Lightyear he's realized he's a toy and then he realizes that actually maybe being a toy isn't such a bad thing yeah 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 and in Inside Out you know happiness realizes they need sadness Mm. and I feel like the so many of the best movies they have this sort of realization like that and I think the better you can make that sort of realization in your movie, the mm. more the more just complete it will be as a um, an experience, you know. So and, uh, for sort of the characters to experience those realizations, you think? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and that, that's kind of the theme of your film. Yeah, definitely. But I think that uh, I just think that there's a, a whole layer of kind of 
self-evident. You know, I mean, you don't want to be um, preachy. Preachy. I think there's a difference between um, uh, oh, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, do you edit these? No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah. It doesn't matter though. There's a difference between what, like, um, uh, I've just blanked, I've just or... blanked on the word. Um, 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 anyway, um, yeah, I can add it on Twitter really later. This is really boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, figuring out the word is interesting, but there's a difference between, I think, pushing a message, is that what you're trying to say, and having something there for the audience to figure out, or showing and telling. Um, ideology is the word I'm yeah. trying to find. There's okay. a difference between ideology, like in, in politics, there's like left, supposedly left and right ideology. Mm. And I think the big problem is, and you don't want to make a film that pushes an ideology. Yeah. Because um, I think you're just going to alienate people, and yeah. I think the real message is ideology itself is the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, when ideology is when I know better than you about something, and for your own good, yeah. you, you really it's you didn't, didn't want to. Yeah, and I think human the opposite of that is humanism, which is you know everyone should just be happy. Yeah, you know, everyone, human, human, every human should be allowed to be happy. Yeah. And uh, as provided that that doesn't make someone else happy, unhappy. Yeah. And uh, I just think that films like uh, Children of Men and uh, Pan's Labyrinth mm. both had that theme okay. to them. You know, like the guy in Children of Men. You know, they don't they don't actually ever say that, but yeah. he's got the the one baby, and then one faction wants the baby for their political purposes, mm. and the other guys want it for their purposes. Mm. And he's like, guys, it's a it's a kid, mm. and if you actually get that that baby to some scientists, it might actually help mm. mankind learn how to breed again because nobody in the world's having babies, right? mm. and uh, and it's so self evident. But I feel that so often in life, you know, people get caught up, and I, I feel like people we're kind of asleep. It's it's a symptom of the fact that we're unenlightened and we're kind of asleep, just going along um, performing. Uh, the to someone else's programming, mm. and films, and, I guess, can be an agent of change in that way. Or yeah, way I, think, yeah I think I think I think it's uh, yeah, and I think that they have been yeah yeah, like you said before, they like a good alternative to uh, to church or well, you know, not that nobody really wants to go to a movie overtly for that reason. Yeah. But I think when you walk out, I think people really do because you walk out of a movie that doesn't really say anything, and mm. you can. You know, it might yeah. have been entertaining in the moment, but it's it's. If it doesn't leave you feeling anything, yeah, it's empty. yeah. I know the movies that really stay with people say something, which is which is funny because I think when Star Wars came out, people saw it as this empty fairy mm. floss entertainment. But then the reason it's held up is the opposite. Well, yeah, years later, you know, the whole sort of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey thing um, came out, and it became this got this sort of academic credibility. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, just adventure stories in general suddenly got this sort of credibility. credibility. Um, something I will continue in my next episode, actually. That's a good thought to end on, I think. Um, thank you so much, Peter. Um, guys, are you on social media? Uh, not really, but I will be. Okay. Um, well, uh, you can see uh, Ward 13 is on um youtube okay all right cool well guys check that out also check out his other projects and um if you have any other questions reach out to me on twitter or facebook and uh hopefully i can pass those on to peter and get back to you uh thank you guys for listening thank you so much peter 
very enlightening, uh, good, very good points. And I asked everything that was coming to mind and I was, I was hooked. So hopefully I demonstrated good listening skills. <laughs> uh, thank you so much guys. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me. It was right. really fun.